Glory to his name. He is worthy of our worship today. Glory to his name. Say his name out loud. There's a day coming in the future. It's been proclaimed in advance that that word, that name will be said and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what will they say after they bow? You are Lord. Now today we have an opportunity to do that willingly. If you refuse to do it willingly, one day you'll do it irregardless. Today we bring glory to his name. It was back in April of this past year that I preached a five-part sermon series called The Praying Peas. In that series, I revealed that God had given me this. Lord, fill me with your power, your presence, your purpose, your passion, your providence, your peace, your purity, your provision, and your protection. They all came to me in a time of prayer. Nine Ps, ten if you count the word prayer. And I began to pray when God did that, um, revealed that to me. I began to pray every day that he would fill me with those nine things. It was him that gave me the nine things to ask for. So he's the origin. That series was very personal to me because it was in an intimate time of prayer that I saw those things. That's an example. It's just an example of how God works in my life. I, I'm not sure how he, how he does things with you. I think everybody's a little different. That's just how he reveals things to me. Well, here we go again. Except this time it's five Ds. Uh, different but the same. And the difference is this time is the do's versus the don'ts. Those 10 Ps were do's. Lord, I'm asking you to to give me your power, your presence, your purpose, your passion. They're do's. These five D's are don'ts. I don't desire them. It has been revealed to me through the Holy Spirit, through the Scripture, that these are tools of Satan that I'm asking you to protect me and this church from. So I began to pray, Lord, please, I pray that we could not be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. I pray these things every day. In fact, it kind of, when I end up my prayer uh, um, each time, it ends up being something like, uh, Lord, keep me from these five things, from being deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, and disheartened. And, and then I, I ask him at that point, that we could be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Because the strength is originally from Him. So if He's the one that gave me the things to ask for, you need my power, my presence, my purpose, then you also need my, you need these other, the other side. You need to know about being deceived and you need to know about being distracted. So here we are. This is not a method. I share this with you today because it was shared with me. This is not a method. And I'm going to make a big deal out of that because so many churches are looking for methods. You don't need a method. You need a relationship with God that communicates back and forth with you his desires for your life. That's, that's what you need. It's personal. It's not some, something that somebody else had experienced. So this is my five-week plan, Lord willing. I began last week to talk about these five Ds. I've titled the series, While We Wait, because in essence, that this is our protection in our time of waiting. I hope I can speak for you today that I'm waiting for a king to arrive. I have no greater focus or purpose in my life. It is not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm one of the blood-bought children of the Most High God. And I'm waiting for my king to come. And while I wait for my king to come, I'm focused carefully on him completing that which he began in me. Him doing through me everything in which he desires to do in me. So while we wait, we need to pray that God will protect us from these five Ds. These five Ds are, are tools of Satan. 
This is what's become so clear to me. We are not unaware of his schemes. The Bible clearly describes that he has methods. He has things that he uses to get to us. One, last week we talked about being deceived. Today, it'll be distracted. So let me give you the definition. When I say today the word distracted, it is unable to concentrate because one's mind is preoccupied. I need to say it again. Unable to focus, unable to concentrate on the single most important thing in your life. Why? Because your mind is preoccupied with other stuff. We need to focus on the most important thing. And, and we just said when we started today, glory to his name. Glory to his name. He is worthy of my attention, my focus, my time, my energy. To be distracted is to be unable to concentrate, unable to focus. And when I say focus, I'm talking about the laser-like focus of clarity upon the goal and the purpose of my life. Why am I here? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Is there a spiritual danger to being distracted? Yes, there is. Can distraction lead to death? Yes, eternal death. This is a major tool of Satan, and we are not unaware of his schemes. Why does this lead to death? Because your mind and your heart are preoccupied with the wrong things the wrong person. So what is the greatest commandment of all? They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is a laser focus upon God. He is the center. He's not a sideline. He is the center. And I love him, which makes him the center of my life. What is idolatry? is when something that has, on the side, has taken its place in the center. Something that I should not be given my devotion to has taken the place of that which is central in my life. What? Love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Distraction is to allow the things around me to take the place of God and I can't focus on him because I'm distracted with the stuff around me. It is the essence of idolatry itself. So let's begin today with this simple instruction. Simple, but it describes the laser focus that I want to communicate today. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What he's really telling us here is to think about the eternal and quit thinking about spending your life in search of temporary when you should be focused on the eternal. So what if you don't? Okay, that's pretty clear instruction. Think about the things of heaven. So what if you don't? What if, you, what if you're distracted? What if you're preoccupied with the things of this world? <clears throat> Set your mind on the eternal. Fix your eyes on heaven, the things that are surely coming. You know, we wear on the back of our t-shirts, heaven's coming. I can assure you it is. It's coming either through the grave or through this sound of a trumpet in the sky. Heaven's coming. And there are so many things that get us distracted from that event. Do you understand how big that event is? It is everything. It is everything. You can't do either, which I means think about heaven, focus on heaven, the eternal. You can't do either of these if you're distracted with stuff and now. You can't. You can't balance all. You can't serve two masters. You can't focus on two end goals. You can't do both. You're divided. Did you know that worry is a distraction? Stay with me. This is big. Do you know that worry is a distraction? To spend time worrying 
is a distraction and a preoccupation with something that you really can't fix anyway. So let me start there with worry. It is a terrible distraction because it takes your eyes off of the eternal and forces you to dwell, to dwell on the temporary. Jesus warns us about this distraction of worry. Are any of you worried about what I'm going to say, this particular distraction this morning? Some of you are already worried about what I'm going to say because it's going to make you feel bad. <laughs> Jesus brings this issue up twice in the Gospel of Luke. The first one, Jesus tells us not to be distracted with opposition and potential suffering. I'm going to explain what that means. This is clear counsel for the church of the last days. Jesus tells us not to be distracted with the idea that when I come to Christ, I'm going to face opposition and the potential suffering that will come if I indeed allow the Holy Spirit to be actively involved in my life. I say this because I believe opposition and suffering lie ahead for the true church of Jesus Christ. I am personally, with this past week, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, opposition and suffering. It's real. So in Luke 12, verse 11, listen to what Jesus says. And when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself. Don't worry about what you need to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So let me put it this way. Let me, let me frame it something we can grasp. Many people never live their faith out loud with boldness. Why? Just think in your own life. What is it in that moment that the Holy Spirit prompts you to say the word Jesus, to do something that would outly, outwardly give your testimony of glory to his name at work, at school, or wherever you happen to be? What is the one thing in that moment that might prevent you from doing it? You're worried about what they'll say, what they'll think, what will be the response. Maybe it'll be opposition. Maybe it'll be anger. In that moment, you're worried, you're distracted. You see, that worry actually takes you off of the main point. The main point is you're living, I'm living for the glory of his name. So if, I, if I'm living for the glory of his name, then why wouldn't I glorify his name? Because you're worried about the response of the opposition that might be in the room. You're worried. It's a distraction. You don't have to defend yourself. In that moment, he says, don't try to worry about what you're going to say if opposition rises because you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. it, it you, you don't have to defend yourself. You belong to God. He is our defender. This is a deadly distraction. Why? It is a preoccupation with self and it takes your eyes off of Jesus, it takes your eyes off of the eternal, and it puts your eyes on you. What am I going to do if they oppose me when he works through me? Well, why is there so many me's in that sentence? It's him. It's him. You can't focus when you worry. In fact, worry becomes your focus. And I want you to understand something today, and here's the truth. When you worry, you are distracted. You have lost your focus. Your laser beam attitude on the important thing has just been taken off of the important thing and put on you. That thing that just keeps going around and around in your mind, we've all been there. That tape that plays that you want to hit pause or stop and you can't, and you lay in bed at night and it just keeps circling, replay, replay, replay. Somebody unplug that thing. It takes your eyes off of the power that is real. Jesus. Remember, we are told to think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. We are told specifically, don't get distracted. But what if they put me on trial for 
thinking and talking about the things of heaven, preacher? What if in the real world we get to the point in the church, even in America, what if they put me in jail for allowing the Holy Spirit to speak truth about these things that the world speaks against? Jesus said, don't worry about how to defend yourself. God is our defender. Don't get distracted and take your mind off of the eternal and put your mind onto you and worry about something that, quite frankly, at that point, you won't be able to fix anyway. After all, what can they do to you? Let's just take a hypothetical situation. Most of us in America can't comprehend it because we've never had to deal with it. Christians around the other parts of the world have had to deal with this for centuries that come into faith in Christ and op openly, outwardly confessing your allegiance to Christ might mean you're going to go to jail or you're going to lose your possessions, you're going to get persecuted. I was reading stories recently in India and some parts of Africa where entire villages were burned out because the village were Christian. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. So as I read this today, I always have this question. I don't, I don't know why it always comes in my mind when I read a, a verse like this from Jesus. As I read this, I look around the room and I wonder how many people in here today actually, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way, actually believe this. Here it is. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Do, do, you, do you believe that Jesus says that somebody in opposition to you and your faith might be able to take your life? They might be able to kill your physical body, but they cannot touch your soul. And you are your soul. You are not a body. You are the soul. That's you. One day you're going to get a new body. When you get distracted, you take your eyes off of the one that has the real power and the real authority, and you put your eyes on something else, someone else. We are in a spiritual war. This sermon series is titled, While We Wait, Acknowledging the fact that while we wait, there is a battle that's raging in the heavenly realms manifest upon the earth. A battle between good and evil. The Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit. Truth and the lie. Even if they kill you in this battle. Even if, and I know in America this is even hard to comprehend. Even if the worst case scenario, they kill you in this battle. You have the resurrection of the dead. That's why I say, do you really believe this? You have the resurrection. And I've got this spiritual truth. It's a physical, spiritual truth. The resurrection of the dead cures death 100% of the time. It's better than any vaccination you're going to get. The resurrection of the dead cures death. Think about it. What is the resurrection? You die and you raise. You see, that truth I just told you, you wouldn't know it if you were distracted. You see what distraction does? It is to be preoccupied with fear and doubt. So I told you about the resurrection that cures death, but you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know about any of that if you were distracted. You see, worry is a terrible distraction, and it denies the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your present situation. You might tell me, and I, over the years I've had a lot of people tell me this. Preacher, okay, you're right. I get it. It's clear. I want to stop worrying, and I can't. I've tried to stop worrying, and I don't know how. What you don't realize, people who tell me that, you don't realize that it is not about the worry in itself, because you're trying to fix a symptom. The problem is your distraction. There's the problem. You're distracted. And because you're distracted, you're preoccupied with the event and not focused on the power of God to overcome that event, you're distracted. 
So when the event comes and the worry comes with the event, you're focused on the event. You're focused on the event. So let's look. The event's over here. God's over here. So when the event comes, your focus goes on the event, the event, the event. Well, God's over here. Why don't you turn and focus on that? You're distracted. Rather than having this laser beam, think about the eternal. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about God, His power, the resurrection. I just keep being distracted with the event itself. Jesus takes this distraction called worry even farther. Is anyone worried about what I'm going to say next? You worriers, huh? I say that because some of you worry so much you've become proud of it. I had several people a while back say something like this, that they actually were proud of the worries that they worried because they attributed that worry to being deeply caring people. So in other words, um, if you're not a worrier, they assume, well, you don't really care. And if I do worry, then I really care a lot. Is, do you think that's true? Because there's some people that are so hooked into their own worry world that they've attributed it as an attribute. That's a good thing. That just means I just care so, so much. Well, let's see. Let's see. Luke 12, 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. So you, if you're in the room today and you've really become really comfortable with your worry world, I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to Him than a bunch of birds. Can all your worries, here comes his question. Jesus, then he gives you the bird analogy. Do you, do you value your own self bigger than a bird? So then he, here comes his question. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? So those of you in the room that are really proud about being a worrier, can I ask you a question? Can that worry add one second to the time that you'll breathe air on this earth? One minute? Well, that's not a very good deal. Verse 26, and if worry can't accomplish a little thing like giving you an extra minute, if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? Does your worry, so, so let me ask you, does it work? When you sit up all night long and worry and process that same thing over and over and over and over and over, and over until you're exhausted and the people around you don't want to be around you because all you do is worry, is it working? No. Is it changing anything or is it just keeping you distracted? It's just keeping you distracted. Well, when I say that, because the worry is just a symptom of the real problem, you're distracted. You're not focused on the meaning of life. You're focused on everything else. Satan uses worry as a distraction to keep you from setting your mind on God and His perfection and His goodness and His faithfulness. It's one of Satan's tools. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything. It only takes away from your life. Now, let's get practical here. We're almost two years now into a pandemic a worldwide event that has a lot of people distracted. They're worried. So, in that two-year pandemic, has your laser focus on God become more laser focused? Or in that two years, are you more distracted now than you've ever been in your lifetime? Let me turn it around. In those two years, and we're two years in, so we know a lot more than we did in the beginning, right? In those two years, has the churches around America just filled up 
with laser-focused Christians. Or not. Distraction. You see, worrying is like looking at God. Let's be honest. Worrying is like looking at God and saying, I know you're God, but I don't think you can or will handle this. I know you're God. I know you're God, but I don't believe you really love me enough to take care of this. I don't really think you think I'm one of your children. And what does taking care of this really mean? What's the worst thing that could happen? Death. In the pandemic, what's the worst thing? What is it? Come on, let's just say it. People don't want to say it. This is real. You want it real? This past Thursday, we lost somebody in our church, a dear friend. It's real. I sat there all day, watched him breathe his last breath. Don't tell me it's not real. What's the worst thing? Let me tell you what the worst thing is, is to find that place where you breathed your last breath and your entire life you were distracted. That's the worst thing. The worst thing is not breathing your last breath and angels come and take your soul into glory. That's the best thing. Distractions. They are real. In Psalms 23, I grew up in a house that my parents made me memorize scripture. I think it's called child abuse today. I had to go to church on Sunday, and they had Sunday school, and they asked you how many verses you read, and you had to tell them. And I hated it then, and I'm so thankful now. Somebody made me read the Bible, because I had no idea at the time when I was reading that God was planting seeds inside of me. I didn't know it. I was a little snotty kid like snotty kids today. But in that moment, he's planting seeds for my future. And everybody in our church, when I was a kid, memorized the 23rd Psalm. It's kind of easy, kind of poetic, in King James anyway. And so it was kind of had a cadence, and it's pretty easy to memorize for lazy people like me. So I want to read Psalms 23, but I'm going to start with verse 4. And I want, I, want to, I want to show you about distraction, okay? And the opposite of distraction. So in verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you've got to understand, this is a King David psalm. And if you know anything about King David, King David was anointed at a very early age, but he didn't get to be king for a long time. And he was persecuted between the time of his anointing and the time in which he would ascend to the throne in Israel. He was persecuted. He ran for his life. He hid in caves. It's awful. So here's the heart, the song of this persecuted King David, before he's king. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Anybody want to see a laser focus? You know, the laser focus, I'm acknowledging I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not in denial. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. But even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Because my laser focus is not on the valley of the shadow of death. My laser focus is, you are with me. You're here. You're here beside me in the valley of the shadow of death. Here we go. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not in the absence of my enemies. While they're here, you're making a table in front of me. You anoint my head with oil and my cup is running over. What? In the valley of the shadow of death, your cup overflows? Because he is with me. I'm not in this thing by myself. So here it comes, here it comes. Here's why I'm reading this. And in verse 6, surely, surely, goodness and love, some translations say mercy. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Now, why? How? How's he going to 
How's he going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Goodness and mercy. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Why? Why does he conclude that? Because if you go back to the beginning of Psalms 23, he announces why he holds to the rest of it. What, what is his announcement? The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because my laser focus is on this, not on the valley of the shadow of death, not upon the enemies that are coming to try to hunt me. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I can say, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that sound like a man that's distracted? That sounds like a man who's focused. So are you distracted by worry? I'm asking you. Do you know? Do you know who Jesus says is distracted by worry? You won't like the answer, I can tell you. Pagans. Unbelievers. So when I ask you a question, it's kind of a trick question. I should have told you the answer first. When I ask you, are you distracted by worry? Jesus says, if you're distracted by worry, he compares you to a pagan which just means you're an unbeliever. I didn't say it, so don't give me that look. He, he said it. Why? Why does he equate um, distracted by worry to pagans? Because the Lord's not your shepherd. If the Lord was your shepherd, the sheep always look to the shepherd. And if the sheep are looking at the valley of the shadow of death, then you're not under the shepherd. Because if you were under the shepherd, you'd be looking at the shepherd. Do you understand? So just because you're a sheep doesn't mean he's your shepherd. And if you're a sheep that can't get your eyes off the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus equates it to being pagan. So let me read it. Luke 12, 29. Don't be concerned about what you eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. Don't worry about the stuff of the world. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Be careful. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. You see the laser focus? See, see the laser focus in the valley of the shadow of death? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm looking at the shepherd. I'm looking at the shepherd. I'm looking at the shepherd. Get your eyes off the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 31, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Do you believe him? Everything you need, not everything you want, everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. I love this part, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Do you understand? It, he wants to give me a place in the kingdom. He wants to give you a place in the kingdom. But pagans don't have a place in the kingdom because they refuse to accept the shepherd. All you see is the valley of the shadow of death. Fear and worry are distractions. And they are the enemy of faith. I'm going to say it again. Listen. Fear and worry are distractions. When you're fearful and when you're worrying, you are not focused on God. They are the enemy of faith. Faith is what? In Hebrews, it says what? Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Sure and certain. Sure and certain. Why? That even in the valley of the shadow of death, He's going to take care of me. And surely, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pagans worry, and pagans should worry, because they live distracted and preoccupied lives in this world. But that can't be the church. Listen, that can't be the church. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and we have come to this truth. And the truth is this, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. 
It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. But there's one more distraction. So I, I'm, I'm going to close that one and open up this next one. There's one more distraction. I told you there were two. Beyond worry, beyond doubts, and beyond fears. Does anyone want to guess what this one is? Some of you non-worriers were hoping that I would be distracted and not hit this one. Here it comes, number two. Jesus brings this one up. Distracted by the busyness of life. This is the one that I battle with. Preoccupied by the things and tasks around you so that you never set your minds on heaven and the one enthroned in heaven. You don't have time. You're distracted. You know, I don't, I don't have time. Preachers, you have no idea what my life's like. I don't have time. You're too busy. In Luke 10, 38, it says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus taught. But Martha, here she comes, our star today. Martha was distracted. She's distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? In retrospect, this is a stupid question. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me, Jesus. Tell her to come get distracted with me. It's not good to be distracted by yourself. The Bible says Martha was distracted. Martha had a lot to do. Food, dishes, house cleaning. Martha was busy. She wasn't out partying. Listen, this is not being evil. She's not out partying and participating in sin. You know what she's doing? She's just busy. Martha was distracted. The Son of God was in her house. Do you understand? The creator of the universe is in her house, and she's too busy to understand what that means. Do you remember the definition I gave you when we started today for this word distraction? Distracted, unable to concentrate because one's mind is preoccupied. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, is in her house, and she's distracted. How is that even possible that the God is here, and I'm worried about stuff in the kitchen? Do you see it? It's a tool of Satan. The same way worry and fear and doubt are possible, it's called distracted, making you unable to focus on the important because you're too busy with the urgent. Now, here comes my big point today. I want you to visualize on this side is um, important. And on this side is something called urgent. They're two different things. One's important, legitimately important, and this one is urgent. Ah, 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 kind of urgent. You know, it kind of gets in your face urgent. This is important, this is urgent. Distracted is when the urgent takes precedent over the important. Distracted is when the urgent takes precedent over the important. So, so busy. So many responsibilities. So many things need to be done. Now, it's at this point I need to come clean on this. I am not a worrier. I'm not. I know I've had this conversation with some people who see me and I don't worry about stuff. They say, well, you, you obviously don't care very deeply. No, I think I care deeply. I'm just not a worrier. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you I'm not a worrier. But this one, I struggle with. This is my struggle, not the worrying part. I do struggle with the busy thing, things. Too many things to do tempting me, tempting me to be distracted. 
I've labeled it. I've, I've even named it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with telling you about it. I'm comfortable with telling you that this is some of the, my, one of my battles. I labeled it the vortex. And I've had this conversation with a lot of preachers because a lot of preachers uh, struggle with this vortex distraction. It's like in ministry, there are so many good things you can be doing. There's so many lives you can be influencing. There's so much, um, you know, just like the story of Mary and Martha. You know, Martha's not doing evil. She's fixing lunch for the Savior of the world. That's not bad. He needs to eat. But you can't get distracted from the main thing. So this vortex in ministry has the ability to just suck you in to just doing repetitious good things, repetitious good things, repetitious good things, and then you don't even realize that you're distracted. You're not laser focused on the shepherd. You're just doing good things. Let me give you an example. Y'all giving me that look. Let me give you an example. You're in a very important conversation with a very important person about a very important topic. Okay? Important, important, important. Okay? Important, important, important. And you're face to face. You're not on the phone. You're, you're, you're having this important conversation with somebody. And in the middle of that important conversation, the telephone rings. What is your inclination? Excuse me, I really need to answer this. But wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're in a really important conversation with a really important person about a very important topic. So what is it that makes this phone call take precedent over the important, important, important? Uh, excuse me, I really need to take this. Okay. Hello, your car warranty is expiring. <laughs> My car has 200,000 miles on it. That sucker expired a long time ago. You see what that is? I, I use that to illustrate that, that's it. That's life. That's it. And so many times we allow the urgent things, the ah, 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 things of life to take us off of the laser focus about what? We start dealing with all this temporary stuff and we lose track of the eternal. And one day you're going to stand in front of God. And you're distracted. So let me ask you a few questions today. You ready? No, you're not. Do you have time to pray? Are you too busy? And, you're, and one thing I've noticed is, and you can check me on this if you want to, every one of us gets 24 hours a day. I don't get 26 and you get 23. That's not how it works. I get 24, you get 24. So, do you have time to pray? And, and when I say pray, I'll really make somebody mad with this one. I'm not talking about praying in when you got some spare time. No. No, you're distracted. I'm talking about praying in prime time. Now, for me, prime time is in the morning. If you try to deal with me after 10 o'clock at night, I probably won't even remember it. I, I, my prime, I'm good in the mornings. I write in the morning, I study in the morning, I pray in the morning. That's when I'm the sharpest and I think more clear in the morning than I do any other time. So, and, and, and I'm not talking about praying in your spare time. Well, you know when I pray when I'm driving my car? Well, you're distracted. I don't want to meet you on a crooked road. You'll have to shut your eyes and run into me. I, why, why don't you, why don't you, Set aside a time and just pray. You, are you too busy? What are you doing? What, just, the question's not to make you feel bad about praying in your car. Somebody will give me an email this week. <laughs> My point is, are you distracted? Hey, hey, are, how much time? Is he worthy of 20 minutes in the morning? Is the creator of the universe who died on the cross to give you, the, to snatch you out of the fire of hell? Is he worth 20 minutes in the morning of prime time? You too busy? You see, Jesus was in the house. 
This Mary and Martha story, he was in the house waiting for Martha to come in and talk to him. I have a feeling Jesus is in your house waiting for you to come talk to him. And you know what? I got the kitchen. I got the kids. You know, I got, I got people coming over tonight. The creator of the universe is wanting to talk to you. You see how Satan does it? Well, I'm not out partying. I'm, you know, you're distracted. Here comes question number two. If I haven't made anybody mad yet, let's try this one. Are you too busy to study your Bible? You too busy to read this? The Holy Spirit is waiting to reveal the person of Christ to you if you're willing to turn off the urgent long enough to take hold of the important. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. And I'm going to tell you what, when you open this up, something happens. I cannot describe it. I can't tell you how he does it. That the Spirit of God does something to my heart when I read this book. You don't have time? You're distracted. This is dangerous. Okay, one more. Are you too busy to come to church? Every Sunday? We did a study here at this church. The average Nineveh Christian church attender comes 26 times a year. There's 52 Sundays a year, in case you were wondering about the math. 26. 50%. Why? Because I'm busy, preacher. Yeah, you are. You're distracted. Does it matter? Maybe you don't think you need church. Maybe you're spiritually mature. I get a lot of that. People think, I don't need church. I watch it online. But what if somebody at church needs you? Okay, maybe you, maybe you are okay. Maybe you're spiritually mature. I don't understand why you don't want to come to church, but maybe you are. But what if there's somebody here that needs you, and God was going to put you here for them? You distracted? Are you that busy? What, those questions, are, there, are you that busy? Are you distracted? I confess that sometimes I have to force myself to stop. Just stop. Just say, no, no, I'm not taking any more meetings. No, no, I'm not scheduling anything else. I can't do it anymore. I can't. I got to stop because I feel the gap starting to form between me and the lover of my soul. And I got to refocus. I got I to refocus. It's a tool of Satan. Turn off the urgent. Take hold of the important. The Bible is the Word of God, and He wants me to come and listen to Him. I must take time to pray. That's when He fills me up with these unexplainable, eternal perspectives. It was in a time of prayer that he gave me the power and the presence and the purpose and the passion and the providence and peace and the purity and the provision and protection. It's in the time of prayer that he gave me all of these things about don't be deceived, don't be distracted, don't be dissuaded, don't be discouraged, don't be disheartened. It was when I was praying that he communicated, these are all things you're going to need in your time of waiting. You're going to need every one of these. I must take time to come to church. Because the elders said they're going to stop paying me if I don't. That was an easy one for me. Jesus was in the house, and Martha was distracted. Jesus is in the house now. Are you distracted? Is anyone here distracted today? That's how Satan does it. In Satan's world, the urgent takes precedent over the important. The temporary takes place over the eternal. And then you die. Listen carefully. What happens to distracted people is consistent. Distracted people, because you never focus on the eternal, you never focus on the reality of your mortality. 
So you're distracted, you're distracted, you're distracted, and you die. And you die. Distracted. That's how he does it. And eternity comes. And eternity, God was trying to reveal eternity to you the whole time. But your distractions, you would never look at it. You would never, you would never face the fact that you're in a time clock that's ticking to zero. It's you. It's real. Jesus was in the house and Martha was distracted. She wasn't just distracted. She was angry and filled with worry, angry with the one that was doing the right thing. She's angry at Mary. Tell my sister to get in here and help me. I picture Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him tell stories. That's how I see the scene in my mind when I read this. Mary's just kind of down on her knees in front of Jesus, just drinking it in, just drinking. The, the Son of God's in our house, and I'm drinking every bit of it. Finally, Jesus has had enough. He's, he's, he's had enough. Martha's whining and complaining. Tell my sister to come in and help me. He's had enough of the urgent and he's about to reveal the important. Verse 41, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, he loves Martha, he loves Mary. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, this stuff. But there's only one thing. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. No, I'm not going to tell her to come in there and get with you. My dear Martha, my very worried, distracted, upset, angry Martha. There's only one thing that is really important in this house today, and it's not lunch. Mary has found the important, and it will not be taken away from her. So let me ask all of you something right now. This past six months of your life, Yes, we're in a crazy world. Yes, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, yeah, I agree. People are dying. I'm going to preach a funeral on Wednesday of a dear friend. I'm crushed by the event. But in this past six months, are you more like Mary or are you more like Martha? Be honest. Which one are you? Yes, you need to work and provide for your family. Yes, we live in an eat, drink, and wear world. Yes, yeah. I'm not denying the physical needs of our lives. We want you all to eat. We want you all to drink. And please, all of you wear clothes. <laughs> but this isn't the meaning of your life. Do you understand? This isn't the meaning of your life. That's what the pagans run after, not the church. We are the blood-bought children of the Most High God. What separates us from the world is the Lord is my shepherd. My eyes are upon the shepherd. And Satan wants to take your eyes off, and all you want to look at is the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death won't save you from the valley of the shadow of death. Only the shepherd will. We are the blood-bought children of the Most High God. We acknowledge this today. We used to follow after those things. Okay? Anybody listen? I used to follow after those things, but not anymore. We found the most important Jesus. Now we have set our eyes on the eternal. Not the urgent and not the temporary. Now we have fixed our minds and our hearts on that which is coming. The Word of God changed us. The Holy Spirit changed us. Knowing Jesus has changed us. It changed me. We are now no longer deceived. That's the first day. We know the truth. And truth is a person named Jesus Christ, my shepherd. We are no longer distracted. Because he, the truth, has revealed to me that which is of utmost importance, eternal life in his name. In Colossians 3.1, here's the description. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when, not if, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you're going to share in His glory. Somebody say, hallelujah. That's what I want to be looking at, not the valley of the shadow of death. When Christ, who is my life, is revealed, I'm going to share in His glory. So put to death the sinful earthly desires, things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. What is an idolater? Worshiping the things of this world. Distractions. And because of these sins, what? He just mentioned idolatry. Because of these sins, this distraction, the anger of God's coming. Is anybody listening? Because of these things, the anger and the judgment of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. So here's my closing. I'm not going to act like any of this is easy today. I'm not. It's hard. To believe is not easy. In, in fact, it is unnatural. But dying is also natural. It is our nature to die. It is our nature to worry. It is our nature to doubt. And it is our nature to be afraid. It is our nature to be distracted. It is our nature to be deceived. Why don't we just admit it? It is our nature to live outside the truth. But there is one that came to set us free from our nature. Do you understand? There is one who came to set us free from our nature that leads us to sin and death. There is one that has come to set us free so that we could not be deceived. We could not be distracted. We could not be dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. By His power, by the power of Jesus Christ, we will survive this wilderness. We will survive this valley of the shadow of death. And we will enjoy the promised land in the kingdom one day soon. Soon. Yes, even in the valley of the shadow of death, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because the Lord is my Shepherd, my eyes are on him. One more promise of God today before we close. 2 Corinthians 4.16, listen up. That's why we never give up. Why? Because I know what's coming. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles here in this valley of the shadow of death and pandemics. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Somebody say hallelujah. Yeah. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. That would be a distraction. We don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. We're singing this song during this series, Weary Traveler. And I, and I see that one of the problems with the church in America today, especially the church that has, has tried to follow after the Good Shepherd, um, it's getting weary. <laughs> and you know, in the valley of the shadow of death, it's really easy to grow weary. That's why we need, uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what he says? He says that because you're going to need each other more and more and more and more and more and more and more as the day of the Lord's return comes. The deeper we get into the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to need each other more. You're going to need each other more and more and more and more. So we come together to encourage each other with truth, to inspire one another with our blessed hope, to set our eyes together upon the shepherd. 
And I know that some of you are weary and some of you are tired. And today needs to be the day that you say, okay, no more distractions. Today I resolve myself to fix my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith. The one who has redeemed me from the grave. So Holy Spirit, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart today, we sing this song. May it be a song of dedication. May it be a song of rededication. May it be a song of deliverance. If the Lord's telling you you need to do something today. I think there's one person scheduled to be baptized here in just a moment. Whatever that is, whatever that is, listen to him. Let's stand. Let's stand.